We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to episode 242 of the Barcelona Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Dan Hilton, I'm again joined by Frances Tomas, Barca columnist featured on ESPN and BarcaBlog.com creator. And Frances, it's only been a week and a half since you and I last spoke, but from the messages I got this week, people think you've been gone for a whole year. Yeah, that's because even when I'm here, I don't really say very much, and my mind seems to be elsewhere. So unfortunately, guys, I'm back. Yeah, I disagree. But did, since we did last speak, Barcelona have had three matches, and we did have a show as well. The second half of last week, so thanks for Armand for joining me for that one. But since you and I last spoke, Barcelona didn't just come back once, but they came back twice. Now that's four comebacks since 2021 began, just over about a month and a half ago. That's five for the season, but they will need another one at the beginning of March against Sevilla to round it all out and make sense of their season. And hey, depending on what happens on Tuesday, which we'll preview over the weekend against PSG, they might need another one too. They probably will, but then again, we need to start asking questions as to why are we having to have so many comebacks. Um, I think that we probably get into it in a couple of minutes, but um, it looks like we are conceding way too many goals way too early in games. Um, so that's going to be something that we need to stop doing so that we don't have to come back all the time. But, you know, I think that overall, and you know, the last we saw in Sevilla wasn't great. I think the 2-0 defeat in, um, in Sevilla is, is not a reflection of what the game was. But if you put that aside, Barca have been pretty good lately. Um, coming back, playing long games, being really resilient, believing in themselves. So even though the last match wasn't incredible, I think that the overall feeling over the last, I want to say, six weeks is, is pretty positive. So we are a team that is growing, we are a team that is developing. And if you had asked me six weeks ago whether we would sign for the results we got over the last six weeks, then of course it would have been a yes. Yeah, I think with a combination of these two things, the two comebacks against Granada and Real Betis, and then the loss to Sevilla, I think I'm positive, but positive for different reasons. Where against Real Betis and Granada, you praise not the tactics, but the mentality and the belief the team seems to have in themselves and the form that they're being rewarded with, a team that has only now lost twice in over a month and a half, just on a great string of matches on the road as well, nonetheless. Yes, there are no fans in the stands, but Barcelona were playing well. And one match against Sevilla where I, not to say, it sounds like it's all going to be a defense of, of Coleman when we talk about Sevilla, but I'm not necessarily so sure about that. I think with the injury, and it is an injury crisis, you're missing Gerard Piquet and Ronald Araujo, your two best center backs this year. You're missing Sergio Des and Sergio Roberto, so your main right back and your backup right back. You're missing... Ansu Fadi, who was your leading scorer before he went down, and you're missing other depth pieces around the field. Yes, Pjanic and Brothwaite were out for that one, but hey, they're guys who normally come off the bench as well. Maybe not, not so much Pjanic, but I mean, he is a top player as well, or should be. And Brothwaite comes and plays in almost every match. So it's not like Brothwaite isn't a depth option has been relied on to change tactics as the only pure number nine, if you will, in the team. So I think in defense of Coleman against Sevilla, it was a team that was banged up. And sure, Sevilla didn't have Lucas Campos, who was out with that, that ankle injury. And he's been their, arguably their best player. Not their top goal scorer, that's Andan Siri, but their, their most important playmaker, their most important figure it has been Ocampos this year. So going back to the Sevilla point, though, I'm okay, Frances, with just settling that game as Jules Conde played maybe the best match of his entire career. I've watched Sevilla probably 
25 times between last year and this year. So Conde's two years at Sevilla. And this might have been the best we've ever seen him. Not just because he scored a wonder goal. And yes, Umtiti got undressed, if you will, in, in for that goal. And Busquets and Alba made mistakes. There were positional mistakes all over for Barcelona. And he, I, the defense is a problem. But you kind of, at that instant, just have to tap your hat. I mean, or, or tap your hat off to the fact that Koundé scored this magnificent goal. And if Barcelona scores it, you don't say that the defenders weren't good enough. You just say that Messi was Messi, that Messi was dynamic and he did the great thing and he scored the great goal. And for Conde, I want to give him that same compliment, that this was just a masterful goal. And on the other side, defensively, Sevilla had been in really good form. Bono does not give up easy goals, has been a, one of the top goalkeepers in La Liga this season, statistically at least. And then Conde and Diego Carlos have been solid. And Elish Vidal, he was solid defensively. He wasn't the player we saw at Barcelona in that time. And on the other side, Escudero, he was getting involved in the attack. So for me, i much rather give credit to Sevilla and say, hey, hats off to them. They brought their A game. Lopetegui had them ready for that game against Barcelona. On the other side, Barcelona, they are a very thin bench where you had to either throw on Conrad or Es Mariba in a game that probably, we talked about the games that did suit them, and now we talk about the games that don't suit them, and those weren't really games for Es Mariba. So that's fine that you kept him on the bench and you waited on your subs and all that stuff. So as I said, I think it's more giving credit to, Col- to Coleman and not necessarily Coleman, but give credit to Sevilla for, ta- for taking care of business against Barcelona. Meanwhile, for Barca, I think that finally the emotional, the emotional energy it takes to come back twice in one week in a Copa and then against Real Betis and then add the injury crisis on top of that, this match was bound to happen where you just, I, I thought they were just as good, but they just didn't have that extra bit they needed to wind up getting a result. Sevilla is a much better team than the vast majority of teams we've faced over the last couple of months. Um, to be honest, arguably all season. Um, I think Sevilla with Atletico Madrid, they're a level ahead of what they've been in the last five, even ten years, to be honest. And uh, they, I think they're both contenders to go all the way in Europe. Um, I think that you can really discard that. There is no team in Europe that would like to face Sevilla right now or Atletico de Madrid right now and hopefully by extension us or, or Real Madrid. And um, if you take Messi aside, and possibly the young and Ter Stegen, the, the squad that Sevilla fielded, so the starting 11, despite the fact that, as you mentioned, they had several bajas as well, several absences as well, you cannot really say that, without looking at their CVs, but looking at their value today, you cannot really say that the Barca starting 11 is more valuable than the Sevilla starting 11 especially with players that are younger and with so much progression. Um, having said all that, I think that someone like Oscar Mingueza had a great game. Um, I think that the fact that he was the leader of the defense, despite the fact that he's really played, what, 10 games for the first team, um, debutizing for Piqué um, in the absence of Araujo as well, he was the one that was leading that back line. Of course, uh, the guy was an incredible. He's just 21. You know, he's incredibly young. And he's not very experienced, but the contrast with Umtiti, for example, who was once again retratado, he was he was photographed in both goals once again, mm-hmm. um, showing his deficiencies once again. Then even make Mingueza look better. Um, you've got Lengle, who didn't play a single minute, and uh, that is because the squad is running so so thin. I mean, I was listening to Kuman in the press conference after, and he did say that you know. Lenglet didn't play, it was a technical decision. Um, and in other words, without him saying it, what he's saying is that I need this guy to play the next couple of games, certainly the game against PSG next week, which obviously we're going to preview after the weekend. So it is it is what it is. Um, you cannot really avoid the injuries once they have happened. And you listed a lot of players before. I don't know if you listed Coutinho, but obviously I think that's the one that we tend to forget because, you know, He's, he's he's not there and he's not really, there's no point in waiting for him. And uh, there was some information coming out this week as well about the fact that he plays another seven games. We need to play an extra five million euros. So you can't even forget about him, which is probably what, what happened to you before. So it's it's what it is. We are with, playing with the youngsters. The youngsters are progressing. Um, I think, and obviously Kuman also believes that the Copa del Rey is Barca's best chance of winning any silverware this season, which is what he feels that he's strong, his strongest 11. But obviously, the strongest 11 is not that strong, given all the absences. Yeah, I mean, I want to give credit against Sevilla to that front six. I thought the front six, yeah, they didn't score a goal. But as I mentioned in that first point, that's more credit to Sevilla's defense 
that have been terrific, not only statistically against Barcelona for the last now year and a half, but have been pretty good defensively in the league of this season. They're the ones who, if Endesiri was not putting a ball in the back of the net or Campos didn't get a goal, they do have a bit of difficulty struggling. They don't get a lot of goals from their midfield, just like Barcelona, until De Jong started scoring. They weren't really getting goals from their midfield either, and so you do lose depth in that front six in Lepertegui playing in that 4-3-3. I think the only concerning part for me tactically, and this is this is like nuanced stuff against Sevilla, but with Barcelona, uh, they're playing in that what is a 4-1-4-1 press, but it's very relaxed press. And what happens in that relaxed press when, especially in this case where we had spoken at the beginning of the season, where Busquets winds up leading that 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 press up up in front of Pedri and De Jong, letting the mobility of Pedri and De Jong be the ones who have to cut out that secondary pass, and Busquets is merely the the figure that's shepherding the ball out to the wings or attempting to shepherd out to the wings and force Vidal or Escudero to make that difficult pass. However, Juan Jordan and Rakitic were doing a really, really good job. And to a degree, Fernando, of coming back and making sure they created overloads, numerical overloads on those wings and not not allowing Busquets to get in those positions. And therefore, Busquets would wind up being out of position when they were able to break that first line of press. Because it's not like, and it's this weird thing that Kool-Aid's have to do. You think back, and we still find that this Barcelona is the same one, or we'll say the great-great-great-grandchild of the Pep Guardiola one. So this is still, you'd think that the ideas that were prevalent for Guardiola, because you see Messi still in the team, and because Piquet's still in the team, you think that they're still the same thing. But numerically, Barcelona are not a team that press much at all. That's not who they are anymore. When, when we expect that that's, even expecting that's what every top team in the team in the world does. You think that's what Liverpool does. Yes, that's what Man City does. That's what Bayern Munich does. But when you count those giants of Europe, Barcelona aren't necessarily doing that anymore. That's not their game. That's fine that that's not their game because they still control the ball. They still have a, not only possession statistically, but their number of chances are top in the Liga and are close to top in the world, as in the chances they create. And the what they do with their possession has been what is, created the revival in January here in February. And those are all positive signs. However, when they do have possession, when they do have the ball, here's the problem. Their rest defense, and rest defense, for those, here's the, here's the definition of that, it's basically defending while in possession. And the issue now, and this, it's not just on Busquets, but the rest defense has not been good enough and was not good enough against Sevilla. Meaning being in the defensive positioning while you have the ball, Busquets isn't whether he just can't seem to get there anymore but when they have possession, they're not necessarily in the right spots to cut out those counterattacks. So Umtiti, who hasn't been, who has not been good since we praised him. I mean, Francis, that was a death now we put on him. I think a jinx because the last time we said that, <laughs> hey, maybe he looks like he's twenty, it's twenty eighteen again. He's looked like it is twenty twenty one all over, and it's been a mess. Umtiti has more so been exposed because that rest defense from the top six has not been necessarily where they need to be. And that becomes the point for to get the best offensively out of Griezmann. He's putting himself in the wrong spots to then defend a counterattack. He gives it his all. He, it's not a matter of effort because Griezmann is doing everything he can to get back in those spots. I, I say the same thing with Alba too. Alba gets does his best to run back and get in those spots. But if your rest defense is not in the right spots when you have possession, you're going to be hurt on the counterattack and you're going to expose center backs that are not elite, elite center backs. And obviously Umtiti and Mingueza are not elite center backs. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
No, obviously not. Obviously not. Um, I'm feeling a little bit different than when I normally am. Um, I'm not going to make excuses for the team, but they have played nine matches over the last, I think, it's 35 days. And a lot of those have gone into overtime, as you've already mentioned. Um, they, we do not have 16 starters. You know, I think we probably potentially will once um, Ansu Fati is back, PK is back, etc. But at the moment, we don't have 16 players that can play regularly and physically and, and you know, can, can deliver at a good level. So I think that given the fact that over the last six weeks, we've had the results we've had with the, you know, especially winning streak away from home. Like if you think about last year, it was unthinkable that Barca would win a single match away from home uh, during, especially during the Setien times. Um, but the, the, the players were pretty much unable to run. They were unable to do much at all. Uh, they were unable to press. They didn't believe in themselves, etc., 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 etc. Now we do have a team that play together. They have understood that it's all about unity. It's all about being there for, for each other. And obviously, we've got the cherry on top, which is Lionel Messi. Uh, Messi has been very, very good over the last month, and uh, he has been. The team is Messi dependable. I mean, we've always been Messi dependable, especially over the last seven, eight years. But I think that right now it's, it's obvious that he can come in and change a game. Um, not that he never was never able to do that, but I think that the leap of quality between Messi and the, say, third best player on the pitch is, is abysmal. Uh, you can say that Messi right now is the decisive element. Then you've got, I would say, Dembele, someone who can add, someone who can create, someone who can balance. And after that, it's De Jong, isn't it? It's De Jong and mm -hmm. Griezmann, he's got a decent enough day and you know when you think about it was Messi then Ronaldinho then Edo it was Messi then Iniesta then Xavi you know and the, the, the difference in quality is abysmal so I think it's only natural that Messi continues to push everyone forward but guys the quality is not there you know the, the starting 11 that we are fielding with all due respect should not be second in La Liga that we should be fourth you're starting players from Barca B you're starting players that are inexperienced and um, in midweek, Kuman did say that he gives the squad a 10. I agree. I totally agree. I think the squad is, is performing above what they should be performing at. You know, you've got um, someone like Serginho Dest, who was not really always starting at Ajax. And when he's played, he's been decent, but obviously he's injured. You've got the only centre-back that is, I'm not even going to say world-class, but is international level, who is Piquet. And Piquet at 33 years old, and, and he's injured. You've got Ansu Fati, who was goal-scoring for fun at the beginning, injured, and etc. You've got Coutinho, who is the most expensive player in history, and he's nowhere to be seen. So, you know, this is, I know I say it every week, but this is a transition season. This is not a season in which we're going to win anything. Um, we are in the Cup semifinals, so that's close enough, that's within reach. But we're facing Sevilla, that is a team that has an exceptional coach. I mean, what Julian Lopetegui did with um, with the Spanish under-21, Sub-21 team, was incredible. He then got promoted to the Spanish team, uh, then signed for Madrid in the same week, then got sacked, um, all getting really weird. Uh, but since he's gone in Sevilla, he's shown what, what he is. He's a fantastic coach, someone who can adapt to the rivals, someone who is a study, he keeps studying the game, always making his teams better. Um, his teams are always playing the same way, et cetera, et cetera. He's at a club that has got Monchi as a sporting director, someone who has got the confidence of everyone because of the knowledge and the. He's built a name for himself based on actions, based on signings, based on based on decisions. We we are a club that has got no precedent. We are a club that is run by a numbers guy that seems to like protagonism more than the well what he should have loved, which is the way back out to get someone back in um, that's been extended for three months. So there's a void of power in the club. We've got a manager that I want to say 75 to 80% of people wanted out two months ago. I think we were one of the very few ones that actually defended him when everyone was going for his throat again. Uh, we've got a club that for three years now has had pretty much every fan calling for every manager to be sacked um, and the president to go. Now that Bartomeu is gone, there's no one there to fill the void. Now we've got Kuman that two months ago, no one really trusted or most people didn't trust. Um, and the people who said, yeah, you need to trust this guy because he knows the Entorno, he knows the club, he knows what he's doing. Results aren't coming, but, you know, this is a transition year, etc. And uh, it's not that we were being insulted, uh, but we were, let's just say people didn't trust what we were saying at the time, but 
here we are. Uh, and then he goes on and sort of gets positive results for nine, eight, ten consecutive matches. He loses a match and people are back on his throat. I mean, the whole club is in a situation that we shouldn't be in. The fan base, I think, is very confused as to what they as as to what the team actually is and what yeah. the team actually can give. And uh, the expectations from a lot of people is that we've got prime Ronaldinho, prime Messi and prime Guardiola coaching the team with Johan Cruyff as an assistant manager um, running by peak Juan Laporta. In, 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 it's, not, it's not happening, guys. This is not what we have. And we need to lower, I know this is harsh to say, but we need to lower expectations. We can't expect to roll up with, with all due respect, Mingueza as a centre-back, someone who hasn't played in three years in UNTT as the other centre-back. You've got um, Junior Firpo, who is standing by as a right-back. Guys, come on. We're not going to win the cup with that team. It's, it's pretty obvious. And I think that the fact that the team is even putting themselves in those positions and are in the cup semi-finals and are second in La Liga is extraordinary. So, yeah. that Meaning to have a rant, but that's, it comes from within. <laughs> that, that's what the reality in my eyes is, and I'm probably wrong, but that's my two cents. Well, no, I, I think you're, I think you're right to. I, I want to push. The only point I actually do really want to push back on a little bit is the transition season, because from the beginning, I think you're right. The transition part of the season happened when we when we were frustrated with what Coleman was doing, when we were frustrated for the first three four months when he was trying to put a plan into action, and he actually started with the wrong formation. A four two three one wound up not working out, and he learned from his mistakes and he changed and he adapted and. That's the compliment that that Coleman has seen what doesn't work and has and has tried to work around what's getting the best out of the most members of this team and that's yeah, what has led can, to can the I recent form. I don't normally jump in, but I want to jump in there. Please. Um, I don't think Barca are where we are today if Kuman doesn't start the season with a four-two-three-one. I think that the team has grown and become what we are today yeah. because he put that first. When we were with Setien, we were. Everyone was laughing at us. You know, there was no solidity. There was no consistency. Um, the players, the opposing players were running through the middle, through the wings. It, it was un coladero. It was a sieve. It was, there was no defensive consistency. The players didn't believe in themselves. They looked largely unfit. They looked largely, you know, not ready, mentally ready, physically ready at all. And I think that because he did that at the beginning, yes, it wasn't popular, but I think it was needed. And then by doing that, by sort of, starting because you can't be in a castle on sand right you need to put the the basis you need to put the the foundations so i think the foundation the four two three one which a lot of people refer to as a fiasco now it's it was putting the foundations of what we are today we cannot have the, the young that we have now being the it's still not there but the box to box midfielder that we all think and hope that he can one day become that the young doesn't happen if he doesn't have the playing alongside Busquets for two, three months at the beginning of the season because the team would have crumbled without that. So I think that that was actually the right move, even though it was unpopular at the time. I think it's even more simple than that. I, going back to the Coutinho point, that the 4-2-3-1 is one, was basically the only idea that you could throw out there that gets Coutinho, Messi, and Griezmann in the team. And since Coutinho has gone out, you don't necessarily... I mean, it, it's it's weird that the it they, they there is some correlation between switching that 4-3-3 and the match that Coutinho got injured in. It's within the same week, which obviously it's not Coutinho's injury that said that made Coleman finally switch to the 4-3-3 because it was a lot of different things that were leading to that moment. Yeah, but when he comes back, it's what I keep saying that I don't think Coutinho actually fits in this formation. And so without him, it's and those are the silver linings of this whole mass injury crisis that you wouldn't be seeing Mingueza and you wouldn't know if he was actually had a shot in making the first team in future seasons if you didn't have the Lang, the Langley form struggling or you didn't have the injury to PK. That's the more important one minutes-wise. Same argument about Fati and Dembele. If Fati doesn't go down, and remember Dembele was injured and then basically came back as Fati got injured and then Dembele got injured again, but he's been good since he's come back the second time. But I don't know if you get that string of games from Dembele. Because with Fati, Griezmann, Messi, and Dembele all up top, somebody's got to come off the bench. And you'd think that it would have been Dembele in that situation. So I don't know if you get the form that he's in now. So now you take the idea that, hey, if Fati can come back at 80%, I mean, unfortunately, he had a setback with his injury. So this is a hot take here on Fati. I wouldn't bring Fati back this season if you, uh, unless he's completely 100% healthy. If you're rushing him back, that's the wrong situation to do for an 18-year-old. As I said, 
four years, people ask me about whether or not he could become a striker. Four years from now, you could make Fati your number nine, and he's still just 22 years old. That's how young Atu Fati is. So if this guy is hurting and this guy is injured, no reason to pull him back. So transition year to go back to that. If PK comes back healthy, if Des comes back and he still and he looks 75% to 80% of what he can be, and Araujo is back in time, not necessarily for the PSG first leg, but if you're able to play well in that leg, and then it all comes down to the second leg, same thing if Araujo's back in three and a half weeks' time against Sevilla, and PK winds up coming back as well, this isn't really a transition season anymore at that point. Maybe all the transition only was for the first five months of the year. And now, yeah, La Liga is still pretty much out of reach. But hey, now you're in the Champions League and you're looking good, you're playing well, and you've got PK and Araujo coming back to solidify the back line. And then you're also talking about the Copa del Rey where that 2-0 on the road is possible. You can win 3-0 at the Camp No, and then they move on to the final. And who knows what happens there? So this whole thing that this is a transition year was correct because it took, Yes, it took two formations. It took a bunch of injuries. It, you know, you do see Pedri, obviously. So Pedri has been good, and you don't feel like he's a transition year. But throwing an 18-year-old into the fire and having one of your best players be an 18-year-old, that is indicative of a transition year. Same thing, having your leading goal scorer for the first three months be an 18-year-old still represents a transition year. So I understand the argument that it does, it has been a transition year, but doesn't, I don't know if that necessarily means that you can't still potentially succeed in this transition year. Does that make sense? So I admit that, and it's yeah. almost a cop-out to say that if Barcelona don't win trophies, you and I are going to say and cop-out and take the easy road out and say, it was a transition year. We didn't expect trophies. But I'm not saying that they're not possible. I'm not saying that Barcelona are completely out of every competition because they're not. PSG, we're going to, again, we're going to get into them aplenty, but they don't have Demi- Di Maria and they don't have Neymar. So they don't have three of their uh, two of their top three attackers in their squad either so they're going to be banged up and if Barcelona can get healthy enough who knows what happens right so yes it's a transition year but trophies are still possible and as as total soccer show and you know the late Daryl Grove always said things can be two things so Barcelona can be in a transition year and still win trophies and all of those things are possible yeah but then you're turning the season into a finals season, meaning that Barca are two games away from winning the Copa del Rey. Obviously, the results in Sevilla have been a little bit better. I would be more hopeful. Um, I don't think we've got, realistically, more than 25% chances of actually winning the Copa del Rey, yeah. um, given the 2-0 result, given the fact that Sevilla have been very, very good, uh, especially at the back, keeping lots of clean sheets, especially recently, which doesn't help. But then again, that return match is a month away. Um, so a lot of things can happen in a month especially with the PSG game in the middle. Um, if you have got Messi firing all cylinders, uh, surrounded by a team that, <laughs> again, putting the, the bar of the expectations really, really low, a team that doesn't give away any goals on that particular match, like we've been doing pretty much consistently over the last seven months, then you've got a chance. Then you've got a chance because you've got Messi and you've got that differential. You've got Dembele as well who can be the worst player on the pitch, but actually lately hasn't been. You know, he's been taking people on, he's been running, he's been fit. Um, I think that Dembele, seemed, to me, seems to have grown up. Uh, he's to have matured, just not because of the fact that, you know, like the Catalan media always say, oh, you know, he was playing FIFA till three in the morning and all that nonsense. Yeah. I think that probably that's also changed, uh, but you don't hear those reports coming from the media in Catalonia. Why? Because he's performing better on the pitch. You know, we don't know if those things have changed. We're just not hearing. And sometimes not hearing doesn't necessarily mean something has stopped. But regardless of that, on the pitch, he takes responsibility. I think the fact that in these overtime games, he lasted till the end is credit to himself, credit to his mindset, credit to whatever dietitian he now has, um, whatever has changed in this latest recovery. But Dembele is a player that can unbalance game. And you've got both of them. If you're solid at the back, you've got the young providing an attacking alternative as well. Jordi Alba fired up. Then, of course, of course you can win. But obviously, it is it is difficult because, you know, we've got the back line that we have. And not just the back line, but also Sergio Busquets is not the Sergio Busquets that he was before. And the alternative at this moment of the season that both you and I at the beginning of the season thought it was going to be Pjanic. Well, he's nowhere to be seen. Um, when he has played, he's been not great um, and he hasn't convinced at all. Obviously, he had COVID in the middle of the season. and But then again, that's months ago. You can 
not really count that as an excuse anymore. And basically, from Busquets back, is the team is not as solid as it should be. And the last point I'll make on this, um, obviously, it looks like Piquet will come back. Um, we don't know if he will come back on time for the PSG match, but regardless, uh, I just recovered Gerard Piquet. I don't think it's going to be any, unfortunately, it's not going to be any guarantee for any of us, unfortunately. Yeah, I think Araujo is the only one. I mean, now you got me almost starting to preview, but a lot of the things we're going to talk about is the health of Araujo, who isn't expected back for PSG, but who knows? Because, yeah, the one thing that people keep bringing up is that Araujo is really the only one with the physical tools to deal with an Mbappe. But again, I'm going to break all that down coming up over the weekend. Because I want to go back to the point about Pjanic that, yeah, Pjanic, I think, is probably the big surprise where we kind of knew what we were getting with everybody. We knew that Griezmann and Coutinho, they had to do better this season to get acclimated. We knew that Dembele had to get healthy and to find his form. Uh, we knew that Dest and Pedri and, and, and Fatih, that they had to hit the ground running and they were going to have good games they were going to have bad games. We knew that Alba was going to be exactly this. He's good with Messi. And then when Messi isn't on the field, uh, like the first half of Real Betis and the first half of Granada, you go, Alba, what, you know, where do you belong? Who do you work well with? The answer is not really anybody but Messi, but because it's you work well with the greatest player in the world, you wind up being really, really important to this Barcelona, which is fine. I mean, that's whatever. Uh, but for Pjanic, he hasn't really fit in a way that we thought he would fit, where thinking back to his days at Roma, where he could basically play any of a, a 4-3-3 in a midfield position there, they were playing a 4-4-2 often as well. He made sense. Pjanic then moves back a bit to be a deep-lying hold, uh, a, a midfielder, a regista, if you will, for Juventus, and we have not seen that Pjanic in any way. And what he has never played in his career and where he doesn't belong is as a pivot. So he hasn't really been Busquets' backup, but he also doesn't really fit as an interior in front of a pivot. So these are positions that, for some reason or another, it just hasn't worked for him. And as we go back to it, we know that it's and almost it's a mulligan where it's I don't blame necessarily the player as much as I do the fact that it had to be financial. It was a financial move. And so Pjanic never fit the sporting plan. And I don't put him in a sporting plan because it, it never made sense, regardless of who the manager was, whether it's Komen or whoever is hired to coach Barcelona is obviously expected, and every manager in the world, I mean, whether I, I'm covering MLS the, for that day or whether I'm watching League 1 or the Premier League or whatever, unless it's Sam Allardyce or some of those Premier League managers, Tony Pulis, that come in who they come in to just save a team from relegation. Because even in Spain, Paco Lopez, whenever Paco Lopez takes over a team, he says, I know that we're in 19th place, but I'm going to attack. We're going to play attacking, enjoyable football, and that is going to save us from relegation. And then they wind up getting relegated anyway, and Paco Lopez finds a new team. But that's usually what happens. But in the instance of Barcelona, when that manager gets, when it's Kike Sessin, whoever it is, when they get to that presser and they say, hey, we're going to attack, we're Barcelona, this is what we're going to do, and we're going to play a certain way, that does mean something in a way that every other manager who says it when they take over, whoever it may be, whether it's Wolverhampton or whatever a new manager comes in and they say, hey, these are the ideas we have. The only ones, as I said, Mourinho and Sam Allardyce, those are the only ones who have the courage to say, no, actually, we're going to put people behind the ball and make this ugly. And then I guess in Spain, the one exception is Bordalas. Bordalas says, hey, we play the way we play, love us or hate us. But everyone else, and then Diego Simeone, even Diego Simeone in his press conferences, hey, hey, we got Joe Felix, we do some fun things off Offensively, and you know we're going to play our way. But for Barcelona, they truly have to mean they're going to play that way. So Coleman was always going to have to play this attacking way, and Pjanic doesn't necessarily fit that way, right? So I mean, and this is almost a, a discredit to Roman Planas, who is, I mean, at this point, a, a sitting duck sporting director because he has no money and he's definitely going to be replaced. So it doesn't matter what reports he comes out with. There's nothing <laughs> that he says is going to matter in the sporting project moving forward. But the lack of sporting project definitely hurt it. And even to think of the Trincao move, that Trincao, I mean, even that's, that, that purchase, you go, hey, that was a big commission fee for Jorge Mendez. Was that, was, was Trincao and his commission, was that involved with a future negotiation with, with another player? Did that, did that, does it change how you interact with the player moving forward? We don't know that. But the point is, Trincao, as Kool-Aid's now, we're just saying, hey, this kid was bought for a lot of money. We're really, really hoping that he was bought for the sporting project. Maybe he wasn't. But we're also now hoping that, hey, I hope this kid can figure something out and be a part of this team. And so I've been really happy to see not only did he get his first goal, but he's looked much, much better lately. And so that's the other thing about a transition season. You, tr you get to watch young players get better. Not every young player is as prodigious as, as Pedri. 
Okay, Fati and Pedri are top five teenagers in the world. They're outliers. They're, they're, they don't make any sense. Trincao is 20, but he had to come to Barcelona, get accustomed to a new and difficult league, and he has improved. And so I take that. And how would you grade Trincao's first season at Barcelona so far? I actually give it a B because he's gotten better, right? It's, I mean, he hasn't put any goals in. He scored eight goals last year for Braga. So now he scored one goal for Barcelona. And hey, if Trincao scores two more goals, that's three goals in your first season at Barcelona as a 20-year-old. And the number of 20-year-olds who scored three goals in the first Barcelona season is actually a small number. So it is difficult to do that. Yeah, I think that Trincao's season, I mean, the fee's high. And I know we always go to, 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 to that number. But when you are signed for any sum of money, then that sum of money goes forward with you. Um, I think that... Coutinho doesn't get the criticism he does if he gets signed for a, a sixth of the price. And the same with Trincao. I mean, when you sign someone for 30 million euros, then you expect someone who, hit the, who can hit the ground running. Um, I think that he's been lucky that Ansu Fati, until he got injured, and, and Pedri have actually erupted this season as well so that the attention wasn't just solely on him as a sign-in. Because if you think about it, with those 30 million euros, Kuman could have gotten the players he wanted. He could have got Eric Garcia, the, uh, now or in the summer even and certainly Memphis Depay if, if all rumors are to be believed I think that between both of those you get 18 million euros would have sufficed um, and then the, the manager would have been much happier but obviously this signing was done beforehand um, I also think that Trincao has played more minutes than he's deserved to be honest um, I think that the He's been trusted game after game after game after game. And if he is growing, which he clearly is, and I'm very, very happy for this, don't get me wrong, but I think it's because the, the coach has believed on what he was offering and also the lack of other alternatives, to be honest. So I think that everything in terms of the, the situation of the season, the injuries of the season have played in Trincao's favour. And I think he should have definitely scored at least four or five goals already. He's been very unlucky in front of goal. And I think that that... It's not even confidence. I don't think it's even accuracy. Like when you hit the post, that's a millimeter between scoring and not. So I think that I was delighted that he scored um, the other day and the winning goal with two minutes to go. But I think that he needs to continue to to grow and develop. And to be honest, in five years' time, if he continues to play week in, week out, then his minutes are going to increase. And he's a player that can offer a lot. Um, whether he will take playing, playing time away from, even as a starter, from someone like Dembele or Ansu Fati in the long run, or Griezmann, who, you know, is not really that old at all, uh, then I'm not sure. But coming off the bench, I think he's got skills and he's got something different that the others don't have that will complement the team. So I hope that he continues to grow. But you said, you asked about the grade. I want to say C plus for mm. him, for me. Yeah, I mean, you're also the one whose uh, day job is in schooling. So I maybe I'd be a soft teacher. I don't know, Frances. <laughs> but that's precisely it. Yeah, so uh, you're a little more different. You're a little tougher on him too. I mean, I think for Trincao, what he needs to add to his game over the summer, particularly, I think he is very one-footed as far as his shooting at this point. Mm -hmm. He likes the same shot, and it takes very little time for a defender, especially a left back, to say, hey, this is how to handle Trincao. He's going to try to cut in in that same way, just like an inverted winger does, and he's going to take two hard dribbles, and he's going to get that shot off of his left foot, and he's going to try to look to go across goal. That's how he's... And the reason why that, that winds up working is because Real Betis had done their scouting report. So let me just break down his goal. I mean, you've heard it. If you heard me on the Twitch stream I had, or if you listen to the match, you've already heard this, but Victor Ruiz winds up, and he was a part of that comeback because he was basically a part of the last three goals of that match, scoring one for himself as well. But Victor Ruiz, he winds up trying to step in. He makes the right decision, but the ball bounces perfectly off his heel into the path of Trincao. Now, what Trincao does like to do is he likes to take that first two heavy dribbles and then get the shot off. But because of the way that it perfectly goes into the, the run that he was making, he doesn't have to take that first dribble. So by just letting that touch off of Ruiz set him up for the shot, Robles was expecting that ball to come across his goal as Trincao usually does. So Trincao instead, on that first look, blasts it right into his near post where he's not expecting. And you can say that's a goalkeeper mistake for not protecting your near post in that way. But because of the way that that ball comes off of Victor Ruiz, which is just unnatural, right? So luck actually does help Trincao step himself into that first goal. But it winds up looking exactly like all the other goals he scored. And Real Betis 
Victor Ruiz's positioning and Robles' positioning were prepared for the regular Trincao shot when he started making that run. So it just winds up being a little bit of luck. Now, I want to end the show pivoting and talking about Lino Messi. Every few weeks, we basically have a huge messy discussion, and it has a lot to do with where he's going to be next season because we almost take for granted what he does week in and week out. What he did coming off for the second time in two years now, coming off the bench against Real Betis, it seems like a team that he doesn't really need to play the full 90 against because Barcelona win those matches even when, when Messi comes off the bench the last two seasons. This is the second time in Barca's history the team has won their first five Liga games of the calendar year on the road. Uh, I know I got pretty particular there because we don't count the Supercopa and we and we don't even count Sevilla for that number because it was in that was in the Copa del Rey. This is the first time that's happened though in 1956. So really playing well in Liga. There is still too much ground to make up. I think even with Atletico Madrid, they have a more difficult schedule down the stretch than Barcelona, but they have a lot of points to drop. So I still don't think that's going to happen. But hey, Barcelona giving themselves a chance, and that's really all we ask of them against Granada. We uh, not even his goal. Sorry, he didn't have any goals, but what he did in that match, the the far post runs for Griezmann to set up the comeback, and then the shot for De Jong on the rebound against Granada, uh, which is the inverse of his goal that he scored against Real Betis. With the one against Betis, he wound up going back to what he loves to do, and that's cutting in from his right to his left and getting that shot off, and there's not much you could do on that. However, the point is for Messi that people seem to want to make is that this comeback and him wanting to play for Barca, we said this over the summer, Frances, was never in question. Messi this season was always going to want to play for the crest. We could never question what he wanted to give to Barcelona, even in his final season. And I keep telling people over and over again, PSG can put him on the cover of France football, and you can say that he's going to go to PSG, but there is no indications that he has, has changed his mind or could have his mind changed, that his mind might already be up or he might st he might honestly have not decided yet and might still be waiting on that. Either way, it doesn't matter to what he's doing on the field. I think he's happier now. He seems to be enjoying his football again. Bartomeu is gone, and the team is getting results. And when the team is getting results and winning, Messi is happy. I think it's as simple as that. Messi is such a competitor that winning means he's happy. Losing means he isn't. And you will see the same Messi if he goes to, and I put out a joke list on Twitter about the places where I thought he could go. I had, what was it? I had Barcelona, Man City, then Newell's Old Boys. Then he would take a hiatus. Then it was PSG. And then, of course, I said the funny ones like Stoke City. And, um, and then finally, he could join Real Madrid as double agent would be the final place he could finally go. But for Messi, regardless of where he goes, if they're a team next season that's losing, whether it's Barcelona or not, he's not going to be happy. He's not going to look happy. And if that team he joins are winning, he's going to look happy. That's as simple as Messi is. Win, happy. Lose, happy. Not happy. And Mes and Barcelona have been winning, and so he looks happy. And I don't know, and I don't think, I honestly don't think, that that changes his decision-making. I think it's either Laporta, who's going to be the new president. Victor Font did that stuff with Gerard Piquet this week. Didn't look good. And then Jordi Cruyff, who was supposed to be a part of his project, kind of turned on him. So I think we said when we had that discussion about the election now three weeks ago, we said it was, what, 95% Laporta? Let's raise that to about 98.7%, I'd say. And then Fresh is actually the one who is trying to drum up some of the Catalan elites to vote for him in the Bartomeu branch, which there is, still is. So anyway, but that's talking about that. So if Laporta, I think, has already convinced him or he's already convinced he's going to leave. I think it's already set in stone. Now he's just enjoying whether they're winning or, or he's upset if they're losing. And that's as simple as it is. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, I think Laporta will be the next president. Um, as the weeks go by, I think it's, it's even clearer that Victor Font seems to have self-destroyed by making far too many mistakes. Um, obviously, it's a football club, so he's scoring far too many own goals that were totally unnecessary yeah. um, and putting a lot of his sex in a couple of baskets, which were Jordi Cruyff and, and Xavi, and neither of them are going to be stupid enough to say, actually, no, I don't want to work with Laporta when it's quite obvious that he's got a lot of support from a lot of sources. Um, I don't know if this always, and, and this is the thing with an election, I don't know if you will always reflect on the majority of the fan base, but certainly the sources, they, they're very conservative people. You know, they, they know the vast majority of sources are over 60 years old now. And, you know, this guy has won several Champions League and built the best team in Barca history. So it is quite obvious that just because of that, he must. He would have had to do a really terrible campaign and say a lot of stupid things, which he's not saying La Porta to actually self-destroy. But you know, the other ones seem to be falling apart, and I think that Freixa is more of a publicity stand than anything. 
Um, I think that people who would have supported Font, they sort of know he's not really going to going to win. So they're probably shifting towards Frasier. But I think that, that that's pretty clear. Now that to one side, um, Messi. So last summer, when basically at the last minute or at the last minute for us, um, for us to find out that he was leaving, um, I was very critical of that because he was like the captain of the ship abandoning when the ship was sinking. Now, <laughs> I am going to say it. Um, I, I am at peace with Messi leaving this summer. Um, I think that if Messi decides to leave, hats off, mate. You've been the best player we've ever had and we need to cherish every second that you've graced our colors with your presence and with everything that you have done. Um, this year, I am at peace with the idea. I think that he's done what he, what I was basically like in the summer asking for him to do. Um, he has helped the next generation develop. He has led the way. I think that what he's doing with Pedri is extraordinary. And I think that obviously Pedri himself as well and the manager, etc. But Kuman, um, Kuman putting his, his part, but Messi sort of passing the button, um, trying to support the youngsters coming in. And I am, I would be happy, not happy, because, you know, you wouldn't want to lose a player like that, but I would be at peace if Messi decided to go. Um, I think that, as you have explained already, he's, he's leaving everything on the pitch every single week. Um, he was clearly unhappy, and, you know, you would be if your company didn't let you leave when you had such a contract waiting elsewhere, and uh, you thought, and your lawyers told you that it was easy, not easy, but it was appropriate for you to go, and the, you... You could have done that then basically they stopped you at the, the, the last minute so i understand why he was unhappy uh, but having said that and that lasted a while but having said that he's put it all behind he's been the captain that we were criticizing he wasn't or he didn't want to be this season um i think that he leads by example every single day um, and i think that if he's got a huge contract waiting from psg from manchester city from whatever noise or voice and whatever other options you gave, then so be it. I think he's done He's done his job. You know, we're never going to see anyone like Messi again, um, regardless of who comes through La Masia, regardless of in the next two, three, four hundred years, we're not going to have uh, a player like Messi playing for Barca ever again. And I think that if he leaves this season, he's done more than enough and he's even done the final push that a um, lot of people, me, for example, were asking from him, which was just help the next generation get kick-started, you know, and I think that what he's done um, and the way that he's enabled other players to grow around him, it, it has been admirable. He's still, he's still being admirable. Um, if Laporta comes in and he can convince him to stay, then great. But if he doesn't, to be honest, it would be better for the club's economy for a start. Um, it would really hurt the team from a sporting perspective. But then again, that's going to happen in two, three years time anyway. So, you know, it's not that I'm even undecided. I think that Messi has earned the right for none of us to judge what he does anymore. And I think that in a way he's on borrowed time, the borrowed time that he is, he, he has earned himself. So if he wants to go, he's got a, he doesn't have a contract anymore. He can go. If he wants to stay and the president that comes in, manages to convince him, then so be it. But I think that he's given the club so, so much over the years and done, done this final year of transition that it's up to him. I don't think, I, I don't know. I, I think you set it up as if that was an unpopular opinion, but maybe we spend too much time talking to each other. But I agree with that point. <laughs> I, I think I was, I, what I said over the summer was that if Messi wound up leaving in that way, in that fashion, and if and Bartomeu stay at the club and Messi winds up leaving and going in that way, it, it unsettled me. It wasn't right. It didn't feel okay. Based on the pandemic, I don't know if fans are going to be back in the stands. Apparently, some fans are supposed to be back in the camp. No, it's crazy to do it. I, I mean, we're not here to talk about the pandemic and, and, and the virus and all that. But if there are fans in the stands by April, by May, by the end of this season, by the final matches, and he can get that standing ovation, he can get that goodbye, he can get the goodbye from the fans, it, I think that is the cherry on top of what has been, as you said, and I agree, the year that he's almost promised the fans, where everything else seemed to be for the club, for the, for the team. And this season, truly, him coming back has felt like it was for the fans. It has felt like this was his connection. And it's, the irony is that they're not there in the stands to, to cheer him on and be with him, 
which is just so odd that I, I've agreed with you. The the transition that I thought this team this season and it was going to be better. It was going to be better for Pedri and Fati, as you mentioned, and I'm parroting a lot of what you said. But it was going to be better for the youngsters, for Dest, for Trincao, for Pedri, for Fati to play with Messi this year was going to be better for them in the long run. To even have a season to learn from him was going to be important. So when you look at the youngsters, even if Eric Garcia comes and who knows what other players are coming up, but even Es Mariba. For Es Mariba, who's had more time to train with the first team and Conrad De La Fuente than ever before in their careers, for them to be now training with Messi for one season, is, it could potentially help them down the road. Uh, leagues and legions that we don't understand. So as, as we were talking about, it, the true transition was how this team had to get younger this year, and they've done that. Luis Suarez and Rakitic, for as much as they're hurting Barcelona elsewhere, they had to leave. They had to leave for all the reasons that we spent months and months talking about. And yet, the new faces that are replacing them have gotten to play with Messi for a season, and that is going to be so important for the development. So I think the benefits that will be reaped from him staying this year, we might not even see for four or five years when a lot of these guys are in their mid-20s and in the prime of their careers. And so I think this is going to be an important thing that they're going to look to and, message, and, and mention that, hey, that one year, or yeah, maybe he comes back. So those two years that I was with Messi were some of the most important years of my development, not only age-wise, they had to be, but because I got to be with him yeah, year in and year out. So, Frances, this is where we're going to end it because we're going to talk soon after Deportivo Alaves. Believe it or not, we haven't mentioned the next team that Barcelona play, but you get the point. That It's three points that Barcelona should get. You'd hope that they continue their fine form and just don't have anybody get injured. That's the most important thing against Alaves. I know La Liga is important, but uh, even if they lose 4 nothing to Alaves, I'm not going to go crazy because you're going to know that one eye was on PSG. You already have one eye on PSG and you were... But that was before Sevilla in the Copa del Rey. So you know that this team is focused on that match in Paris. And it's going to be an interesting one that we're going to break down. But unfortunately, just like Messi, Frances, you wanted to leave. I, I mean, I, I'm not blowing up your spot here. But, you know, I know that your contract situation is kind of weird. But I can't let you go. And you can call me the Bartomeu situation. But uh, you will see Frances again plenty uh, this coming weekend. And then we'll be talking again after PSG. So that's really the big one. But we hope you come back on the one over the, uh, we'll see, Sunday or Monday. But we'll get that TSO, Frances. Uh, until then, get your rest because I'm making you play every three or four days. That's okay. That's okay. I'm, I'm fully fit um, <laughs> and ready to go. Sounds good. Awesome. So we want to thank everyone for listening again, for tuning in. You can tap in your app, check out the show notes to subscribe. As I promised, if I get some more, at least iTunes, I don't even know what it's called, Apple iTunes, whatever it's called anymore, Apple Music or wherever your podcast, Apple Podcasts. So if you're on that device, even Spotify or Overcast, wherever you are, if you leave a review, I promise that if I got a few, I would read them on the show. So I need a few more. I just have one or two now. They've been pretty complimentary. So I want to see a few more. Give us five stars and I'll read them on the show at the end here. We're on Twitter as well, at the Barcelona Pod, or at Healthy 13 for me. On Instagram, at the Barcelona Pod. Our closed Facebook group is tvpod.link backslash group. Deeper dives and discussions. And we are on Patreon, as you all know. They're the ones that help continue make these shows at tvpod.link backslash Patreon. We're also on YouTube as well. I'm going to have a special PSG video preview. Expect that to come out in the coming days as well. So check us out there. Hit that subscription button. And as always, thanks so much for listening to the Barcelona Podcast. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon. Before it's the Barca. Barca.